Good morning, everyone. Oh, I'm Pastor John. For those that are visiting today or don't know me, and especially if you are visiting today, please, uh, I want to get to know you and just kind of check out uh, why you're here and uh, hopefully that uh, the Lord has drawn you here for uh, even just a day that you're blessed. Um, okay, let's do a little Thanksgiving spiritual quiz for a second. What do you say? How many of you had cranberries this Thanksgiving? Raise your hand. Okay. How many of you that had cranberries had the kind that you boil and do yourself? They're big chunks in the middle. All right, got some spiritual people here. How, how many of you had the kind that you slide out of the can and slice it up and it still looks like the can. Uh, we're going to have a prayer, time of prayer after church today for you people. Uh, there's something wrong with that, isn't there? Oh, my goodness. Oh, we're going to have to do a sermon series on cranberries. I can see that. No, I'm just really thankful that you're here today. I was so blessed. Um, you know, uh, Tim and I talked about how much we love and care for you guys, but also we also feel loved and cared for, and we're very thankful for that. And I hope you were able to spend some time with people that you love and you, you care for as well. Um, it's interesting, this series that we're in, we're talking about for the whole month of November, we've been talking about being thankful. Let's be thankful. You know, and I, we started that out with the idea that it almost, almost like needs a prompting, doesn't it, for us to be thankful? It's like, okay, there's a lot going on in the world and there's a lot of stuff happening in just my life, let alone my family's life and at work and all these different things. But we need to be thankful. We need to stop and realize what the Lord has done in our lives and just be thankful. Over the past weeks, we've been thanking uh, the Lord for others, for trials even, uh, for provision. Uh, this week, we're going to talk about grace. What a great job the band did leading us into uh, talking about God's grace today. Uh, uh, there's no way, shape, or form can we cover the grace of God in its entirety in our time together, nor do you have a pastor that has the ability to even do that. God's grace is so big and so far-reaching and so... Uh, just uncomprehendable some days that um, we just can't do it all. But we will be able to just kind of explain in a, in a little bit how God um, uses that. We'll look at a couple examples today. Uh, one thing I want to do is explain there's kind of, in to put them in a box a little bit, there are two types of God's graces in a sense. Uh, there is God's common grace, which is the grace that all men um, get to receive. Um, God's grace is on, even though the world is broken, is out of control, has fell into sin, God's grace is there to hold it all together. And I hope you realize that even scriptures like uh, he causes it to rain on the just and the unjust alike, right? 
So there is a common grace that is in God's goodness, that he gives grace um, to all. Um, remember, grace is undeserved acceptance and love received from another. And we're going to talk mostly about that undeserved love from God towards sinner. And um, I pray that you are thankful for God's grace today, if not just the common grace. But then there is this idea of God's saving grace. And we're going to talk about that one as well today. God's saving grace, even though we are sinners, God has provided a means of grace that we did not deserve to get back to him, to be reconciled back to himself. God's saving grace is by which God renews and redeems the broken. That he will one day do that with the entire planet. The whole entire world will be redeemed. But he also does that currently with the individual, with you and with me. Undeserving, broken sinners, he, he redeems, he pays for them, and he gets them back. Each of us should be thankful for God's grace. So let's pray together and then we'll kind of dive in together some um, scriptures together. Let's do that. Lord, thank you. As we sang about so loudly this morning, um, your grace is amazing. I don't understand it. Chances are many of us do not. You are gracious to us, undeservingly so. But yet you love us, and that love drives you to give grace. We are so thankful for your grace, Lord. We, we kneel today in prayer to you. We bow down to your, your majesty. Lord, we love you. Thank you for grace. Guide the words today in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're going to John 8 today. So if you want to get out your cell phones, tablets, Bibles, all the everything in between, we'll have words on the screen. But I always encourage you to kind of flip open your Bibles and look at that. Um, I just want to give you a, a brief context in here. Um, I feel the need just a little bit to kind of touch on, because our Thursday nights has been so much fun. That's our, our Grove group. Uh, time together, and we've gone through a, a different series and different things together, but it's been really fun to talk about uh, different scriptures. And I've been noticing that people are reading the footnotes in their Bibles, and this is one of those footnotes that kind of makes you scratch your head. Because when you read in the footnotes, footnotes, your Bible may say that in the early manuscripts, this particular section we're going to go over today wasn't in some of the early ones. And so you go, mm, is this even really the Bible? Well, here's the thing. Uh, yeah, it may not have been in some of the early manuscripts, but when, as the canon was made, as the different uh, original um, scriptures were put together, someone deemed this, Holy Spirit deemed this worthy of being in the canon of our Bible today. So don't let that throw you. I just thought it would be good to address that because so many people of, you will get on this mountain of should this even be here and miss the entire idea behind it and what we're supposed to learn from it. 
So no doubt one of the apostles deemed this worthy of being in our canon today. So the context here is at this time of Jesus' life, everybody was rejecting him. So many people were. In the, just the book of John alone, many of his followers had left and rejected him. They started following, and now all, all of a sudden they're just, we're not going to do this no more. He's, I, I don't really believe that he is the Messiah. His own brothers and family didn't have much of a confidence that he was really... Remember, this is the guy that they, they um, you know, played baseball in the backyard with, you know. And so his, his brothers are looking at Jesus going, eh, we're not buying this whole Messiah Christ thing. Israel was divided over Jesus at this time. The whole entire nation of Israel was divided. And even the Sanhedrin, which is, the, you know, the 71-member council that was kind of in charge of the religious stuff at this, at this time, they were divided. And they had uh, aught with Jesus, if you want to say. So here's the kind of, kind of context a little bit of what we're walking into when we begin to read John chapter 8. So let's read um, a couple of those verses this morning. John 8, starting in um, verse uh, 1. It says, But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Now early in the morning he came again into the temple, and all the people came to him, and he sat down, and taught him, taught them. Uh, sitting in a synagogue or in a temple, when you sat, it would be kind of the equivalent of a pulpit mentality. So when he sat down, that meant that there was a man of authority being allowed to teach the scriptures that day. So Jesus is sitting in this place, and he taught them all who came. Then the scribes and the Pharisees brought to him a woman caught in adultery. And when they had set her in the midst or in the middle of the synagogue or of the temple, they said to him, teacher, this woman was caught in adultery in the very act. Now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned. But what do you say? This they said, testing him, and that they might have something of which to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote on the ground with his finger as though he did not hear. Pretty interesting with everybody trying to trap Jesus, catch Jesus, get him in a situation that they could prove that he wasn't the Christ. And this is where this is going. So we got the scribes and the Pharisees, the Jewish leaders of the day. Those are the ones that are writing some of the, um, in upholding the laws of the day. And so they know the law better than anyone. And so what they do, they bring up one of these laws. I don't know how they found this lady or come across her, but one way, shape, or form, they were able to catch a woman in the act of adultery, grab her out of that situation, and drag her into the temple and sit her right in front of Jesus and amongst all the people that there were there learning that day. So the equivalent would be if that happened at this very moment. 
Like if somebody just drug somebody out of the village of Holly and drug them right up here and set them in front and charged sin uh, right in front of all of us and myself. So I don't even sure what I would do, to be honest with you. But Jesus hears the accusers, but then he gets off his, his chair or his seat and he kneels down and begins to do something on the ground. Um, you know, I've heard a bunch of sermons around this thing and everybody kind of guesses at what Jesus wrote. Uh, you're missing the point. No one knows what Jesus wrote. We may never know what Jesus wrote. We may never even know if he wrote anything. He just said he was like writing on the ground, but what was he writing? Who knows? The fact is, Jesus ignored the accusers. He just knelt, and he continued to write. Just wrote. It's interesting, um, this, concerning this lady, both Leviticus and Deuteronomy both say that, in a sense, they are right. This woman was caught in the adultery. She was to be brought forth. Uh, in front of uh, to be judged and then if she was found guilty they uh, she would be stoned and the idea behind this was to keep sin out of the camp so much so out of the city in other words God was serious about sin and still is um, but what we're in a situation is where these men were not there to remove sin from their camp not from their city they were there to trap Jesus. So in this, Jesus, as he responds, he responds as if he doesn't hear them. Interesting, isn't it? The one who should be judging just as if he didn't hear the accuser. John 8, verse 7. So when they continued asking him, he raised himself up and said to them, he's looking right at those accusers now. He gets up, he stands up, he's eyeballing them, and he says this, he who is without sin among you, let him throw a stone at her first. And again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. I'm assuming as if he's not listening to them. Then those who heard it, being convicted by their conscience, went out one by one, beginning with the oldest, even to the last. And Jesus was left alone, and the woman standing in the midst. Obviously, the accusers didn't like being ignored. Um, I kind of tried to think through a modern-day uh, equivalent of what that would be. If Jesus had an iPhone or a tablet, that's what he'd be doing. People would be talking to him, and he'd just ignore him. He'd be doing something on that. Not paying attention to anything that's going on. But what's interesting, Jesus does not ignore the sin. He ignores the, the accusers. Jesus gave grace versus condemnation. Pretty interesting, our Lord, how he gives grace. Remember, the, the idea of grace is giving us something we don't deserve, right? 
So um, love is opposed to the penalty for her sin. Um, it's interesting that the, he tells the woman uh, here in a couple of verses something different than he allows to happen to the accusers. Um, common grace is always used this way. God gives common grace to all people, to all sinners. But it has a motive or it has a goal. And common grace always has the motive of getting you and me, the sinner, to saving grace. Getting us to the point where we acknowledge our sins, call it sin for what it really is, humble ourselves and go to the Lord and ask for forgiveness. But at this moment... We're seeing an example of common grace to both. Uh, let's pick up in verse uh, number 10. When Jesus had raised himself up and saw no one but the woman, he said to her, Woman, where are those accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you? And she said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said to her, Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Jesus is aware of all sin. He knew the sin that of the accusers, that they were trying to trap him, but yet he ignores them. And he could have easily brought down the thunder on these guys that day. But that wasn't what Jesus wanted. He wanted them to come to saving grace. So he just ignores the accusation. He didn't ignore the woman. He actually tells her to go and sin no more. Now, whether any of these, whether this, is, uh, this woman came to know Jesus as her Savior, uh, recognize that, we don't really know. We, don't really, we can guess at who this woman is in the Scriptures, but for the most part, we don't really... The woman's not identified. We don't know if any of these Sanhedrin or any of these scribes or Pharisees came to know Jesus, but there was grace given that day with that hope. Jesus didn't condemn either. Both were sinning right in front of him, but yet he, he, he bent down as if he'd, he heard nothing. It's amazing about condemnation, isn't it? Condemnation does not come from God. Did you know that? There's so many times that um, I will interact with people and I'll talk to them about the things of the Lord and, and they will make statements like, I can't believe that your God's supposed to be a loving God, but yet he does things in the world to people and, you know, in a condemning attitude. That's not our God. Our God is full of grace and full of mercy. So where does condemnation come from? Flip your Bibles back to John 3.16, a couple pages in your Bibles, a, a flip up on your iPhone. <laughs> John 3.16 says this, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. We know that verse fairly decently. But how about this? For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, 
but that the world through him might be saved. He who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son. And this is the condemnation, that the light has come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. For everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. But he who does the truth comes to the light, that his deeds may be clearly seen, that they have been done uh, in God. So obviously, when you think about the woman um, being caught in adultery, she definitely deserved, not only by the law, but by God's moral standard, and should have been stoned. But God's grace, God standing in the flesh in front of her, did not condemn her, but gave her grace. But it's interesting, she was condemned already. You and I are condemned right out of our mother's womb. We are born in sin. We have a sin nature. Our natural thing we do is rebel against God. It is how we are. And so we should be thankful today for God's common grace of just keeping the world together until we can get to a point where we can accept his saving grace, the one that redeems, the grace that restores us back into a relationship with him again. Condemnation comes from our unbelief. I wonder what was really going on in the heads of the scribes and the Pharisees that day. Obviously, they came. They weren't believing. In fact, they were trying to trick Jesus. But then all of a sudden, Jesus says to them, let whoever has no sin throw the first stone. Did you know that that was also from the law? That the accusers were the first ones to bring a stone up and start the stoning. So what Jesus did, he didn't just like blurt out this phrase that didn't mean anything. It's actually according to the law. And all Jesus really did, he didn't rebuke the law by letting the woman go. He just really said, okay, if she is guilty, then let a person that has no sin in his life be the first one to pick up a stone and throw it. This is grace because it allowed the, the scribes and the Pharisees to think. And then all of a sudden, now that they've been exposed, that they are sinners too, now their conscience gets them, the scriptures say. That their, script, their conscience has been stirred by their sin being exposed. And it's allowing grace to take its full course. Now the woman, she's standing there with only Jesus after they've left. 
You notice that Jesus does it. There's no language in here. We can assume some things, but there's no language in here that says the woman was forgiven. He didn't say, I forgive you and I let you go. What he does say is, go and sin no more. He has actually given her grace. I, I can't imagine not given the grace that she has been given and not coming to the Savior. But yet, we do that all the time. It took me a, a long time to get this figured out. And I am so grateful that God gives grace. He was giving me common grace in light of my sinful life. He was giving me common grace in, in, in light of me ignoring him. But then there was a day that when my deeds were exposed, then I began to read. It exposed my deeds. And I had a choice. I could either come to the light or love my deeds more than my Lord. So that day I got on my knees, trusted him as Savior, and my life's never been the same. But he didn't condemn me. I was condemned already to a life eternal outside of his presence, outside of his care. I'm so thankful for grace. I don't know about you guys, but I certainly am. Saving grace, though, provides salvation or redemption from our sins. And there's the difference. All of us are receiving common grace each and every day throughout our lives. But there needs to be a point in our lives in order to have saving grace that once our sins are exposed, we have to deal with them. It's amazing that these gentlemen that came before um, the Lord and had all this accusation in mind, they were trying to trick him. And what Jesus did, he just brought a little light into the situation. He says, you know what? Uh, let you, with the first, uh, the, you the without sin be the first one to cast a stone. I wonder if we all thought through that when we become a, a, accusers. And we'll talk about that in a second. So what do we learn from this, John's account from this adulterous woman, um, I learn, and I hope you are learning, that both the accusers that day and the woman was given common grace with the idea is it was going to point them to saving grace. Common grace is given to both. Um, remember that grace is something that we don't deserve. So when Jesus handed that out, neither party deserved what he was giving. If you've not received God's saving grace, I pray that the Lord is actually speaking to you in this moment. If this is something that you have just maybe come to church, maybe you have uh, even read your Bible, and I meet people all the time that have come to church for many, many years, and then all of a sudden God says something to them and makes them realize that they've been just coming to church that saving grace has never been a part of their life. They've never really realized what it takes to be saved. 
Being saved means that our sin's been brought to light. But then once, what do we do with that kind of a concept? Well, the, the, the way we're taught is that we humble ourselves, kneel before God, ask for forgiveness of that sin, and like the woman, go and sin no more. But we know that we can't be completely rid of our sin because even the day that you trust Jesus for, as your Savior, chances are before you get out the door, you probably got a sinful thought. So his grace is needed even after saving grace has taken its hold. So we must not abuse this saving grace. You probably notice how easy it is to be an accuser after you yourself have um, received grace. Maybe you've been saved. Maybe you've taken God's saving grace upon yourself and now the Spirit of God lives inside of you and has changed your life. But how easy is it to turn into these scribes and these Pharisees? Because we may not be accusing Jesus, but we have a tendency to forget how much grace we've been given and we accuse others. And we do this for a couple of reasons. It makes us self-righteous, right? Somehow my sin is not quite as bad as your sin. The old saying is that if we can, if we can push somebody down, it makes us feel higher, right? And we can abuse grace in that way. Let's go to Ephesians for a second. This Ephesians chapter 2, for me, whenever I get in this place where I feel like I have maybe abused his saving grace, I come to chapter 2 of Ephesians. And I read this, and God gives me a humility check. He does a couple of things here, and I hope he does that uh, for all of us this morning. Ephesians 2, starting in verse 1, he says, And you, and this is Paul talking to saved sinners, and you he made alive, who were dead in trespasses and sin, in which you were once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. So, when we abuse grace and we kind of judge others and we don't allow grace to work through us and into other people, this is the chapter you need to open your Bible to because it reminds us that we were just like them. We were once dead in our trespasses in sins. And it's interesting, this trespasses and sin thing, because sin is, is truly when we rebel against God, we're disobedience against God. But trespasses kind of uh, point towards something a little bit different. Um, because it's hunting season, 
Uh, I'll use this illustration. Many of us in hunting season will see signs that say no trespassing. Now we're challenged with something. Do we read the sign or do we cross the line? Trespasses are like that. Trespasses are sins. We know what the law is, but we break it anyhow. We do it anyhow. So the scriptures say that this was you and me before we got saved, before we came to God and asked for forgiveness, that we were just like that, that we were dead. What does it mean to be dead? Dead means that you're dead. <laughs> you're dead. But now we've been made alive in Christ Jesus through grace. Let's keep going. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love, which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. You didn't deserve it. And raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness towards us um, in Christ Jesus. Talk about a rags to riches story. If you are here today and you have received the grace of God and have been saved from the penalty of your sins, do you know that you will one day sit in the heavenly places and have all the riches and all, all everything that Jesus has will be at your um, disposal. Pretty crazy thought. And here's the catch. You didn't deserve it. You were given grace. And that penalty thing that was going on because of your sin, because of my sin, those trespasses and those sins, oh, that didn't go unnoticed. God took those penalties upon himself. Had his son come, hang on a cross, have his body beaten, his blood shed for our penalty. Grace. And, and you and me, by faith alone, get to go to where we were always meant to be, and that is to sit with Jesus in the heavenly places. I don't get it. I don't understand it. I told you I wouldn't be able to explain it. But that's the grace of God. So if you're here today and you are a part, if you're just kind of in the common grace arena, may I encourage you today to take God up on his offer. You can be reconciled back to him and be forgiven of your sin by simple faith. And all you have to do is ask him, God, I'd like to receive that. I want that gift. Did you notice it was a gift? Did you see that? That it was a gift. You didn't earn it didn't deserve it, but he gave it to you. Grace. There is redeeming power in grace, saving grace. Um, if you truly did receive Christ in your lifetime, 
You've been redeemed. You've been paid for. And things begin to happen. What sin broke and made dysfunctional is beginning to be repaired. You're getting more like Jesus each and every day. Now, there's a lot of things that are in that. You know, there's some active participation on our part that needs to help that. But at the same time, the opportunity to put sin behind us and be like Jesus is there. Did we deserve that? No. We deserved hell. Separation from God for all of eternity. It's interesting um, to me, I guess, when I think about grace being undeserved acceptance and loved received from another, um, how little I actually do the same. You know, it's kind of funny. Uh, you know, I'm not trying to expose all my junk in front of all you guys, but, you know, it's amazing all the grace I've been given, but how often I don't give it back. That there seems to be some kind of a still sinful nature in me that uses the grace of God for my advantage. And uh, Paul talks numerous places in the New Testament that, you know, God forbid that we should abuse our grace, that we should be using it for God's purposes. And that starts by um, handing out grace to others. You know, I don't I love each and every person. I can honestly say that, that I have met here at the Journey Church. And I can actually say that with all honesty. But I don't always agree with y'all. And we're not always going to get along like we would love to, right? But what is that going to take for us to move towards the things of God? Grace. We're going to need grace. We're going to need it for each other. You're going to have to give me some stuff that I don't deserve. You're going to have to give me some grace. And there's going to be some stuff that I have to hand out to you. I have to understand, looking at Ephesians, that we're both of us, one day we're dead in our trespasses and sins. But now we're made alive together in Christ Jesus. That should get us through any difficulty we may have together. That should get us through any difficulty that we have on the outside. Well, we don't always handle this grace thing very well. But may I encourage you this morning, just like the woman, just like the scribes and the Pharisees, they were handed grace with the opportunity to come to saving grace. But then once to saving grace, we have to remind ourselves that... Uh, we need to be looking like Jesus. We need to be handing out that same kind of grace. So as we kind of wrap things up here today, I just really want to say, what, has, what have we learned? What have we learned from Jesus today? What have we learned from the woman? What have we learned from the scribes and the Pharisees and the way they handled things? One thing I did learn is grace does not accept sin. Remember that. It loves the sinner, but doesn't accept the sin. You notice nowhere did Jesus say when he was talking to the scribes or the Pharisee or even the woman 
that what they were doing was okay. I'm just going to look the other way. He didn't. Sin had to be dealt with. Now, we can take advantage of grace and just say, oh, well, I can keep on sinning and doing. God will take care of it. He gives grace. Or we can understand what it takes to get to saving grace and what it took for us to get back to him and ask for forgiveness of sin. Turn from our sin, repent from our sin, and walk the other way, just like he instructed the woman to do. The sinner is not condemned already. Only if there's unbelief are we condemned. So don't, for a second, think that you have a God that is hovering over you, just waiting for you to sin so that he can condemn you. Now you've already done that yourself. If you sit here today in unbelief, you're still condemned. Not, a, not harsh words from me. I'm just trying to help you navigate through what the Bible says about sin and our condemnation. Our condemnation comes because we have not believed in Jesus. We have not believed in God's provision for our sin. Grace loves the sinner without ignoring the sin. I suggest if you have loved ones that you're trying to show grace to, that you use Jesus' as an example here today. That you just don't look the other way on the sin. You don't condemn them. That's not what we're to do. But what Jesus did, he brought the sin into the light. And then, hopefully their conscience begins to bubble and boil a little bit. It makes them think. Condemnation from us doesn't work. We don't have the right. That's abusing of grace. But the grace of God will not look at that sin. It will, God will judge that sin. So what we want is the sinner to go to God and ask for forgiveness so that he won't be judged. He will not be condemned. That's what we're learning from the woman. That's what we're learning from the Pharisees today. God's common grace provides the time for us as sinners to repent, to turn. I am so thankful for common grace. Saving grace reminds us that we too were once dead in our trespasses and sins. But we've been made alive through faith in Christ Jesus. By grace we have been saved, and we have been saved for good works. I really enjoy the idea that with the scripture we just read that once we are, you know, we're committed to good works, that's what we're saved out of evil, right? We're saved out of sin. But we have no problem with walking in our lives, exposing our deeds into the light anymore because our deeds are good. But prior to coming to Christ, living in unforgiven sin, we don't want to bring that stuff up. We don't like it exposed. But that changes when we get saved. When we do, when God does expose things into our lives, knowing that he gives us grace 
knowing that he wants us to come to him in forgiveness, we can do that. His saving grace is amazing. Each of us should be thankful for the saving grace of our Lord and Savior. So here's what I'm going to do. Just like every week, we give, us, give ourselves a few moments to think about God's saving grace. Maybe you want to talk to him. Maybe you want to pray. Take that time to do so. If you know, do not yet know Jesus as Savior, I want to help you with that. I can help you with that. One of the elders can after service today. Raise your hand. I'll come to you. We'll chat for a few minutes. We'll make everybody else wait. That's how important God's saving grace is. We all need it. If you are in need of that today, just let me know and I can point you to the Savior. But let's take a few minutes and I'll come back and close the service today. Let's pray together. God, thank you for your grace. <clears throat> thank you for your common grace, of course. But Lord, thank you for your saving grace, a grace that comes through faith. It's nothing we have deserved, nothing we can earn. We're so undeserving, Lord, but yet you love us. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Amazing amazing. Lord, if there's still anyone that does not know you here in the sound of my voice today or and they're just being convicted and don't know even know what to do with the conviction, may they just realize that you're there, that you want them, that you want them for all of eternity, not just for this time here on this planet. Lord, you're amazing. I don't think I could say that enough today. I knew I couldn't explain it. But may your spirit speak to each and every person here today to just show how amazing your grace is. And it's your grace we thank you for in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Um, please remember we're going to, because we don't have a baptism here yet, <laughs> maybe Santa will bring us one this year. We're going to go over to First Baptist. Uh, Pastor Phil has so graciously allowed us to use his baptism. It's been really cool to watch what the Lord has been doing on our Thursday night studies and such. And we've had several things go on there that only God could really bring forth and, and make happen. So today we have two people that want to be baptized. And so we didn't want to keep them from that just because we didn't have water. 
And so we're going to biblically baptism, uh, baptize them today over at First Baptist. We have uh, uh, directions out there today for you how to get there. I'm really hoping that we'll have a good showing. Uh, Pastor Phil's going to ask some of his congregation to stay behind too so that we really call in it a celebration and we want to celebrate uh, with you. Remember what baptism is. A person's already saved, right? Uh, they just want to show the world that they are following Jesus, so they follow in believers' baptism. So we're going to get to celebrate that today with a couple of our members. Pretty awesome. Uh, and then um, I invite you to come on Thursday night. Uh, we're going to deck the halls. We're going to get ready for the Christmas season, but we're going to have a time of fellowship and hanging out and uh, just getting to know each other a little bit better. So um, as you go, I'm going to put a thought in your head. Uh, next week, I'm going to offer you an opportunity to invite uh, people through the Christmas season. We're going to make it a, give you a little tool in order to help that, little invite cards, and they're going to be available on the, in, the, in the back. And what we're hoping is that you'll invite friends, relatives, neighbors, whatever it is, uh, to come and see. And that's going to be our, our sermon series for the month of December. We're going to come and see uh, what God has done. And so we'll uh, invite you to do so. So as you leave today, God bless you. Thank you. I'm thankful for you. I pray that you're thankful for God's grace. We'll see you next week.